There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Kaching with Jane King podcast, a podcast from parents to parents to help us teach the next generation about money. Now, today's podcast is brought to you by Arc Athletics, a New York City-based fitness and athletic training business. For tips and videos on how to keep your young athletes healthy and injury-free, you can go to arcathletics.com. And our co-host, Kim Mustin, traveling today, so I'm holding down the fort. I uh, will uh, get Kim back here next uh, week. Now, a month or so ago, I read this editorial in the Wall Street Journal, and the title was, Our Grandparents Learn Personal Finance in School, Why Can't Our Children? And I said, I have to get the author on the Kaching with Jane King podcast. So welcome, Ted, back. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. Now, Ted is the president and the CEO of the National Endowment for Financial Education. He is also one of the Wall Street Journal wealth experts, a member of the President's Advisory Council on Financial Capability for Young Americans, and the immediate past chairman of the Jumpstart Coalition. So uh, that's quite a resume, Ted. Thank you so much for joining us. And why don't we teach finance in school anymore? Well, we do. We just do it at a fairly modest and, and regretfully inconsistent level. Uh, there are lots of states that have mandate requirements, over 20. That's right. I think Utah uh, does. Doesn't Utah have a, a nice requirement? For yeah, that? Utah, uh, Virginia, several. But they tend to be fairly weakly defined, and uh, there really are no quality standards. So we in the community, because uh, this is by no means an industry, uh, we think we've had some modest success. One of my colleagues calls it uh, – random acts of success. Uh, but, you know, we're, we're missing out on a couple of things that we're trying to fix, and that is quality standards. Uh, we need to have them. Uh, we need to train teachers uh, because that's always been a gap. Our, te our teachers generally are not comfortable with the subject, and we've been uh, developing teacher training programs uh, to help with that. And, and we've really funded, in my organization, a lot of research on financial behavior and what's the best way to teach people things so it sticks. Not that they can pass a quiz at the end of a course. Right. And I mean, I think if the financial crisis taught us anything, I think one of the things was we're just as a society not as knowledgeable about saving and risk and all those things that I think if we had financial education in schools, we might have been able to avoid some of those problems we saw in 2008, 2009. I agree. I, I would expand that a little bit. We actually have been doing a lot of longitudinal research on that, and we started following people in, who were starting college in 2006 to see how they got their information uh, and what, what were the effects of the, uh, 
there was the Great Recession, and, and well over 90% of the people we were studying, we've been following them now, uh, they're now approaching age 30. Uh, over 90% were affected by the recession. You know, their families weren't able to do things, weren't able to, to help with tuition as much. Uh, it set people back. It delayed uh, starting families and getting on with their lives. Uh, but what came out of that is that's that research is there are really three places that are hugely influential in making sure people are off to a good start. Education is one of them, having had a course, but it's second behind parents and right ahead of having had a part-time job. So, you know, if you really want to have a great program, have parents talk to their kids uh, about money and make it, make it a discussion, not a lecture. Uh, I have four grown children and I remember the effects of lectures, uh, discussions get you a lot further. Uh, and they really learned a lot as they kind of, we talked about our financial situation and how we manage money uh, and then have that class. And, you know, the, the reality of having had a part-time job and seeing how many hours it re is required to buy something, uh, that that's really sticks oh, with that's kids. Oh, so, that's such valuable information. What if the parents don't feel comfortable or themselves don't know a lot about how to handle money? You know, there is a wealth of information out there, and all you have to do is do a little homework and get comfortable with the subject. And by the way, it's okay to talk about your mistakes and what you screwed up. Um, your children have observed that, and if you think they didn't know what was going on when you had a situation that you're not comfortable with, you, you know, you probably should pay a little closer attention. Uh, they really see how you're dealing with money. So, you know, talk about your mistakes, do a little homework. There really aren't that many financial decisions you make in your life. So just talk about those. Well, and I think it just, you don't, it don't have to be perfect. Just have a discussion. Just know that it's a topic that's not taboo in a family. You, you can have a conversation about money and how much things, even the going to the grocery store can teach a lot. Yeah, I was standing uh, behind a grandmother and a, oh, maybe six or seven-year-old uh, at a convenience store, and I was with my wife, and he had laid out, he had maybe had $2 in change, and he had laid out some candy he was going to buy. And, you know, it was a convenience store, so everybody's in a hurry. And the grandmother said, you don't have enough money to buy all that. And everybody in line sort of looked and said, okay, grandma's going to dig in the mm -hmm. purse. And this was not in an affluent area. And she said, no, you have to decide what you're going to put back because that's the money you have. That's the money you saved. And I was like, oh, I wish I had a film of this because they, you know, he had to sit down and decide, OK, I've got two bucks and I got three dollars worth of stuff. What's the least important to me? And it took a while, but you know, she turned around and said, this is the only way he's going. <laughs> Good for that grandma, because it, it's all about choices. Yeah. I mean, you know, we all have to make choices about what we're going to spend money on. And the little boy learned it at an early age. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Now, so Ted, take me back to um, what our grandparents learned. What were those classes like for them when they did teach personal finance in a consistent way in schools? What kind of things did they learn? Well, you know, we've, we've got a series of textbooks that uh, one of our actually researchers, uh, Dr. Lois Witt, Witt gave us and uh, as part of our library. And we were kind of going through class books from 1917 to about 1924. Uh, they're Thorndikes and the Hamiltons, and they're actually, you, you can download them because uh, they are off copyright. So you can actually either order them 
for a modest amount or uh, get them online for free. But, you know, there were there were a great deal of, uh, of the lesson plan work was built around financial decision making. And the assumption was, you know, in, in that time, you were still in a in often an agrarian society uh, or you were expected to go work in a shop. So even after grammar school, uh, you might be working on the family farm and you were expected to have a job uh, to and that job would contribute to the family's well-being. So the school systems in math or uh, arithmetic more accurately described, a lot of the work was designed around subjects that we would call financial education. It was how do you deal with the bank? Uh, how do you work in a store? How do you keep books? Uh, one of the ones I got a big kick out of is how, how do you buy things on mail? How do you read a uh, the bill of lading or the, your order to make sure you got what you wanted? So Amazon is not a new idea. It's it's an incredibly uh, updated version of something that you know. If you think of the Music Man, the the play. It's like the Wells Fargo wagon showing up. Uh, now, there, was, there are no sections on cybersecurity or what happens when you max out your credit card. Uh, that came later. So basically, kids graduated then um, having at least kind of a basic knowledge of taxes and insurance and saving money and the things that, I mean, a lot of people have no, I've had adults ask me, how does the stock market work? And I think, you know, if we would teach those things, even just the basic knowledge of that, people would feel a lot more comfortable about it. And a lot of people are just, they don't know it about these things, and they're just scared to get involved in them. We tell people there is no inoculation. This is just a continuous education process. And there's great ways and great resources out there. Uh, and we're a nonprofit. We provide some of those, actually a lot of those, um, where you can do your homework so that you're able to make informed decisions. And it's much easier now because all you have to do is log on. Now, I, I was uh, an entertaining reading primer. I saw this in your editorial from 1915. Stories of thrift for young Americans, not until each grammar school graduate knows how to practice true thrift will the highest prosperity of the country be assured. So I love that. But we're such a society of spenders. I mean, 70% of the U.S. economy is spending, the Fed keeps interest rates low to try to get people to spend, and it's just ingrained in our heads. Thrift is really not something that is encouraged, I feel like, by the institutions that we have in, in our society. Well, if we look at what's spent on the messaging we do versus what's spent on consumption, uh, clearly there's an imbalance. Uh, but, you know, I think the, the, the big recession helped drive home a lot of what people should be concerned about. Because one of the silver linings there is I think people started to worry about their liabilities, not just their assets. So what happens if somebody loses a job? What, what happens if, uh, you know, one of your children moves back in with you or you have to be a caregiver for your parents? Uh, so people are starting to worry and pay attention to things that could happen. Mm -hmm. So I think in many ways they're trying to be better prepared. And that that, that's kind of what people learned in that greatest generation that had to go through the Depression. That's right. And uh, they, we, have, very we have safety nets now that we didn't have when some of these classes were being taught. I mean, there's unemployment insurance that you can file for and, and welfare and, and those kind of things that, um, you know, they didn't have back then. So it was really important that everybody knew how to handle their money. Well, or had lots of children that could support you if you as you got yeah. old. <laughs> now, the Great Recession. So we've, we've talked about that a little bit. I mean, that really 
made, I feel like, some structural changes in society in terms of, I mean, there was a lot of student loan debt. Um, it changed the job market. A lot of young kids couldn't move, uh, couldn't buy a home. They put off marriage. Um, there's been a, a change in terms of just industry and economics. And I think, I think it even showed up in the presidential election that we had. There's still some effects of that. So um, these kind of deep um, economic problems that we have have a, have a huge psychological effect on how society works. I think it's caused, especially with young people, a delay. Mm -hmm. And now, in, you know, we're a big research shop. We fund a lot of research on, on a lot of different subjects in personal finance. And the delay in the decision makings by millennials towards those life events like buying a house or starting a family. Uh, also, you know, a big one is just the cost of housing. You know, we used to use a rule of thumb saying spend 30 percent of your take home pay on housing. And that was a great guide. Well, if you're coming out of school and, and let's say you've got a great job and it happens to be in a destination city like a Denver or a San Francisco or a New York, uh, you're not going to probably make it on 30 percent, a 30 percent budget for housing. It's probably going to be more like 50 percent. So, you know, it's understanding that and understanding those are numbers you can work towards as you become more settled and you start to see your career advance. So, yeah, there was a big delay. We're seeing some catch up which I'm very encouraged by. But we're also seeing some both caution in how people do homework, but also some overconfidence now that the economy is doing so much better and the unemployment rate's down. So, you know, you've got to measure those two things and try to balance yeah, them. Yeah, and I think credit card debt is now at the highest level since 2007 and will mm -hmm. probably surpass that this year. So people are out there with the plastic again. So, <laughs> so Ted, let's talk a little bit about, about school again. Um, now, I remember in high school, they divided kids into the college-bound kids and the non-college-bound. And the non-college-bound kids took something <clears throat> in my high school that was called consumer math. And it was how to balance a checking account and how to, you know, pay bills. And I remember thinking, gosh, that sounds like really practical information. Why am I taking algebra? Do you think that college-bound kids are getting shortchanged by not learning just some of the basic things about personal finance? Absolutely. Uh, and that's, that, that's a big issue. It, it's, it's actually a big issue globally. Uh, and it's, it's fascinating to see how different countries have dealt with it. Yes, we have always sort of stuck uh, the kids who are not going to college in those consumer math courses. And, and some of that, I think, is a leftover from the post-World War II, and everybody's goal was to go to school. So your math classes were uh, algebra, algebra two, geometry, calculus, pre-calc. Uh, so, you, you know, consumer math kind of got squeezed out. But what we're seeing is, is that there's a big move back towards life skills and that uh, if you look at other countries, for example, in the UK now and in Australia, you are required to graduate for, for high school graduation to have taken a consumer finance course because they think it's an important thing for their people, young people, to know to be competitive. And there's a fascinating study that's sponsored by the OECD. It's called, called PISA, uh, which is, you know, when you see those rankings about how much how, how do our kids rank in math versus other yes. countries? This one specifically at how well-educated are our young people on personal finance. And the 2012 numbers that came out, in, in actually, it's a long-term study. that uh, came out in 2015. We were, like, boringly middle of the pack, really average, 9 of 18. Uh, China, actually, was the first. 
Interesting. Uh, mainly because of strong math programs. And, uh, you know, so we really didn't do all that well there. Now, interestingly, the new piece of data, which will have a lot more countries in it, come out, comes out in May. So I'm going to be fascinated to see how we do there and how if some of our initiatives are starting to get us to catch up to some of the leaders. So to tell me a little bit about uh, the group, uh, the National Endowment for Financial Education, and, and what you're trying to do and what some of your efforts are, and how can people learn more about your organization? Well, our, our website's uh, nefe, N-E-F-E dot org. Uh, and what we do is we really provide programs throughout your life. Uh, we are a big funder of research on why people do things uh, and why people make mistakes. Uh, typically, we have thing, research going on at anywhere from 8 to 12 universities. We've been doing a lot of work around normal aging and cognitive decline. That's really, I think, fascinating issue as demographics change. Uh, we also provide programs. We, we educate roughly 900,000 high school and middle school students a year. Uh, and we provide content and programs into over 1,000 colleges now. And uh, we partner with a lot of nonprofits. So if you get a Boy Scout merit badge in personal finance or advice from Dress for Success on how do you budget to keep a job or advice from the Red Cross on how do you rebuild your records in a disaster, that intellectual property actually comes from us. And we do a, we do a lot of public awareness. Uh, the key thing to note, everything we do is free. Uh, we do not accept donations from government or uh, industry. And we really focus on the it, the issues that if you think in terms of 80-20, you know, 20% of the population has portfolio assets. Financial service industry does a great job of covering them. We're about the 80. Okay. The, the folks are trying to have a budget. They get to the end of the month and have a little money left mm -hmm. over. And it would be a great resource for a parent to go to if they wanted some ideas or resources or something to start their kids learning about money. They could go to your website. Yeah, absolutely. And another great source that I'll, I'll mention is Jumpstart. The Jumpstart Coalition for Financial Literacy uh, actually has very good guidelines on what a child should know at kindergarten, fourth grade, eighth grade, and senior in high school. So if you're wondering, you know, what, where are the parameters? You know, how do I draw a box around this on what I should cover at those age groups? Uh, that is a very well-researched, very well-designed uh, by some awfully good academics program. And so you could just Hop onto that, too, and I think get some great information. Excellent. I'm going to go there because I have a seven and a nine-year-old, and I try, but, you know, sometimes they just, you know, I'm tired or something, and they just, <laughs> they're, they're, uh, I'm not doing as good of a job as I could. So I'm going to take a look there and see what all that's about. And I, I just wanted to mention one more thing. I mean, the kids that learn personal finance in school really built this country, and, and we're the greatest generation as well. So I think there's some really valuable lessons. They don't seem tied together but yet they are, just about living a, a, a responsible life. And I think it would be great for America to have all the kids know more about personal finance and how to handle money. If you want your children to have some success, I think this is one of those things they just need to have. And if they don't have it in their bag of tricks, they're much more susceptible to scams and making bad decisions that they have to live with for a long time. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ted Beck, for joining us today, the CEO of the National Endowment for Financial Education. And uh, we appreciate your time today. I Thank enjoyed you. it. Thank you. Today's podcast brought to you by ARC Athletics, a New York City-based fitness and athletic training business. For tips and videos on how to keep your young athletes healthy and injury-free, you can go to arcathletics.com. So thank you for listening today. We always welcome 
welcome your comments and suggestions. We are hashtag Kids Kaching on all the socials. We'll catch you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.